You're listening. Oh, welcome, I should say. Welcome to welcome. Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. It is a beautiful, lovely day out there for us. I hope it's lovely out there for you, wherever you're listening in from, uh, whether you be driving or sitting or working or whatever it is that you're doing. We're stoked to have you here with us today. And uh, how are you going, by the way? I'm doing really well. I'm dragging my feet a little bit. I have still have a lot of assignments to do, yep. but I'm nearly there. I can see the end. You can see the light I at the end the, of the tunnel. I said that to a friend the other day, and he said, just as long as it's not a train. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, you definitely don't want that. That's not a good light at the end of yeah. the tunnel. Um, and that light gets closer yeah. and closer, usually, because um, the lights tend to be on the front of the train. So that's not a good story at all. Well, I hope gave it, me a good chuckle. I hope it doesn't go that way for you. I hope that it goes very positively for you and that you can <laughs> smash all of those things out of the park for your assessments and finish out the semester yeah. strong because oh, yeah. it's been a hectic year. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not going to put out there this, you know, last year everybody was like, oh, 2020 will go away and 2021 will be different. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ready to make that kind of bold assertion yet. <laughs> We'll see what happens, but Jesus will be with us no matter what the circumstances yeah. are, and he will get us through. So, yeah. So what else have you been up to? Tell us a little bit more about uh, – well, actually, no, let's, let's do it this way. Let's do it this okay. way because we've got a little bit of time, right. a little bit of time before. But l- let me do a, a shameless couple of plugs before then. So we have got a great show lined up for you today. We are going to oh, be yeah. continuing and finishing off John Chapter 4, and we have the audacious goal of achieving – the whole of John chapter 5 today is the goal. We'll see how we go with that because uh, – It's a good goal. It's a good goal, bold but it's a goal. it's a bold, big goal. Yeah. So we'll see how we go with that. But that's what we're going through. And we've got our friend – our good friend Kira who has been on the show before coming to share another testimony with us for our Testify segment. And uh, we got – I'm super excited about fun facts today because I could use some fun facts in my life. And I'm looking <laughs> forward to hearing a bit more about that. But also today we're going to have a code word for you that's going to come through at some time. Mm. And I'm going to remember it earlier this this time so uh, hang out for that don't be like i'll just listen in the last five minutes because you'll have missed it Um, but when you hear that code word you're going to receive a free copy of an extraordinary giveaway that we'll tell you a little bit more after one of our songs and uh, it's going to be a good time so remember at at any point in time during the show you can call or text in to 0491-064-669 with your questions or when you hear the code word you can call or text in with that code word to that same number and uh it's going to be a great time. So, mm-hmm. all right. Now we've got like 25 seconds, and okay. I'd like to hear yep. the top three recommendations of things to do to keep your mood high in the midst of the challenging times that many of us find ourselves in. Ready? Go. Go for a walk. Point number one, walk. Cook. Cook. Ooh. Yeah. That's a very Samoan answer. And the third one. <laughs> a third one, quickly. Eat. Eat. I love it. Walk, then cook, then eat. And that combination will make you hopefully well-balanced and happy. All right. This is Stephen Curtis Chapman, Feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus, I will lay my burdens down. I will lay my heavy burdens down In the stillness I can hear my Savior calling out Come to me and lay your burdens down So I will lay down my struggles And I will lay down my shame all the fear I drag around through this life like a ball and chain, and I will sing highly. 
Listening to Real Faith with Ruby and Tesh, and this is Faith FM. We're glad to have you back. Yeah. So it has come that time, my friends, to learn about what a weird and wonderful world wonderful. that God has made for us. So, wonderful. um, yeah. What do you have for us today, Tash? I'm excited. This, I, I really love this. This is this is one of the highlights of my week. This is. It does have a little bit of something to do with um, chapter five that we're in today. Awesome. But. Uh, so this year I moved into a new house uh, with new housemates, and in my last, I don't house, think that was in John chapter five. Well, I read no, the that, story. Part, that part wasn't. Sorry, <laughs> but this part is. So last year the house that I lived in had an amazing, like it was a big bath, and it fit me, and that's something uh, that's never really happened before in my life, like a big, a big, big bath. And awesome. so I used to have baths all the time so at least once a week i would have a bath nice that sounds relaxing it was super relaxing and i would listen to some music or sometimes i listen to a podcast but it was really good and i had like a i've got like a a basket filled with like bath salts and good things and when i moved to this house yeah what a girly what a girly experience (laughs) 
but it's so good. I don't think I've ever bought a bath salt in my life. Is that or unless Epsom salt counts for a swollen ankle? Yeah, Epsom which are, salts. Yeah. Also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it also doubles as a laxative. But anyway, um, fun oh. fact for you about Epsom salts. Thanks. That's all I know about bath salts. <laughs> okay. So please don't consume them unless you've no, checked the label because I might be wrong. I'm no doctor. Yeah, don't don't consume them. Yeah, I yeah. think it's just an external thing. So I've got all this stuff, but I've never used it because in my current house, they've got a very small bath. It's well, at tiny. least you've got a bath. Our house doesn't have a bath. Oh, you don't have one? Nothing. Oh. Nothing. Well, oh. Well, not nothing. That's we have sad. a shower. That's good. No. A shower's good. <laughs> Sorry. A shower's good. I mean, most, most people would use a shower now rather than have a bath. And it got me thinking... Um, the reason why they had bathtubs is because, and they say when you make a, when you, when you have a bath, you're drawing water, like you're drawing a bath because what they used to do was, uh, there was no indoor plumbing. So they would go, they would, you know, pump some water outside, heat the water, bring the water in, put it into the bathtub. That's, that's how like traditionally you would, you would have a bath and you wouldn't have this thing where you would be clean every day unless you had, um, you had servants or people that would bring the water. You would only traditionally you would have like a bath like once a week. Yeah, so it got me thinking like, and that's that was true up until like fifty years ago. Yeah, that was true. In, even yeah. in, even in the Western context, even in the Western context. <laughs> and so I was having a look. Okay, so the, even less than fifty years ago. Even less. Oh, even less than fifty years ago. So because we live in Newcastle or the, in the Lake Macquarie area, everyone knows us. We're famous for the ocean baths. And okay, so, good. I thought you, I thought you meant us, you and me. And I was like, I don't think we're that famous. We're not famous. I don't think everybody knows me when I drive around Newcastle. <laughs> I don't know about your experience, but yeah, the Newcastle baths. Got it. Yeah, got, it got it. Okay. They didn't really use those for bathing, like showering, like for cleanliness. It was more Yeah, I'm for, glad that people wear clothes when they go swimming at the true. baths. <laughs> but they used to have like a municipal bath in, in a city in Newcastle? No way! Yeah. So like, it was, was like a bathhouse. Yeah, it was like a bathhouse, yeah. For, oh, wow. For a little while, and then it just, the way they made it didn't really work out, so. The Romans were big on bathhouses. Oh, I'm getting there. Oh, well, oh, yeah. okay. go, go. So the, the oldest, don't let me stop the you. oldest bath is, so the, like the actual bath itself has been around f- since 1700 BC, and it started off in Greece. So they had them in palaces, and they were made of like alabaster and ceramic, and they had wow. they had they actually had sophisticated <laughs> hot water systems. Yeah, so that's really cool. And um, I know um, here the bogey hole was created. So if you're familiar with the bogey hole in Newcastle, yeah, you should look up the bogey hole. It's a pretty cool yeah, spot it was in Newcastle. Created by a man named Major Morissette, and he he liked um, salt water baths, so he got some inmates or convicts or something like that to yeah to dig out this out of the rock so, isn't that the way it often goes so somebody's somebody's imprisoned and as part of their punishment what you're going to actually do your labor is going to be to make my bath <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at least at least it was a public bath that everybody hopefully got to use or at least we get to all use now today yeah so we get to use it now it was it was um uh, expanded and now they've got like railing and things like that so they made it safer but i want to tell you about the biggest bath Ever in the whole well, please world. Please do, please do. Okay, so it was in a Roman bath, eleven hectares. It had mosaics. Eleven hectares. Oh yeah, it had. Isn't a hectare like a quarter of an acre? Oh yeah, it was like a town. That's like forty acre bath. It was a town. It had mosaics. It had frescoes. Two thousand five hundred people could fit. You're kidding me. And they didn't just have one area. They had like a, a different temperatures. So you'd go into the hotter one. So it had mineral water as wow. well. Yeah. So thermal baths. Go into the hot That's one. That's bigger than the baths out at like uh, Moree. Yeah. 
Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> and they had like. I'm cool with like, a bucket shower. Yeah. There's all different things. Even library in there that had. They had a library. Yeah. Just in case you Dude, were. Dude, I don't know about you, but I don't. My <laughs> books don't do so well when they get a little damp and a little bit wet. <laughs> That's why it's 11 hectares. So you got one part for this part, you know, it. Each compartment has something. But yeah, so they had different temperature temperature pools and then one big pool that everyone could yeah, join in together. Bathing. And then when you got sick of that, there were other things you could do, like places to eat, places to yeah. Wow, so this was like the epicenter of the social world. Yes. Wow. Yeah. What a strange place. (laughs) All for bathing. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, I just I I can't imagine wanting to bath for that long, but that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing with that. I've got so many things to think about now. This is Marty and Tanae Thompson. Keep pressing on. As I walk on this journey, I'm burdened by sin so heavy. But I've heard there's one who sets men free And so I'll keep pressing on The narrow way leads to a mountain That few have climbed for trials got to them But on that hill there's a fountain That washes my sins away Blessed empty tomb, blessed man, hope is found in you, what a cost, you took my place and so I'll keep pressing on. Then I come to a valley. Fears just overwhelm me So I pray, Lord, give me mercy So I can keep pressing on Across the valley, a pasture's green Quiet still waters, so pure and clean My soul's renewed, taste and see of the Lord. Blessed cross, blessed empty tomb, account as lost. All things for you, Christ will come. It's not fun now, and so I'll keep pressing on. And so I'll keep pressing on Blessed cross, blessed empty tomb The count as lost All things for you, Christ will come It's not fun now And so I'll keep pressing on
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio. And uh, we were going to go, well, we're going to tell you a little bit later about our uh, giveaway today that's going to be coming with the code word, so hang tight for that. But before we get into that, we have got our testify segment mm. where we hear a testimony from somebody that's living today of things that Jesus has been doing or is doing or has done in the recent past um, today. So we've got our good friend Kira on the air. Are you there with us, Kira? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Well, welcome back. It's so nice to have you here again. How have you been? Yeah, good. Just um, working on essays. Oh, working on essays. <laughs> Excellent. Hmm, so what um, that feels like. <laughs> you're not the only one in the room, apparently, who's dealing with that. But um, just for those of our, those of our listeners who, who may not have heard you last time, just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm currently studying and finishing up that study um, to be a pastor, um, so to work in the church. And um, I'm based in the Blue Mountains. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, we're super excited to have you with us, Kira. And what are you telling uh, telling us about today? Yeah, um, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my burn condition and how I think God through that. Awesome. Well, take it away. We're super excited to hear the story. Awesome. Um, so when I was nine years old, I broke my finger. Um, and, you know, that's very standard, very routine. Um, so, but here it wasn't. Um, you know, when I got an x-ray and it freaked out the GP and um, the radiologist, and I ended up having to go to the Children's Hospital at West Mead in Sydney. And um, after doing a whole bunch of investigations, um, a lot of x-rays, they diagnosed me with a bone condition called Ollier's disease, um, which is multiple chondromatosis, if you want the fancy science term. Whoa. And basically what <laughs> what that means is that I have tumors of cartilage in some of my bones, not all of them. Um, so in my two hands and my right um, humerus, so my like upper arm is where I'm most affected. Um, so growing up, um, with that, I mean, I only found out at nine, but what it meant was that I couldn't play ball sports. Um, I had to be really careful about sometimes like the way that I was laying down. Um, if I knocked my fingers, um, I would have trouble writing. And so sometimes I'd bring a laptop to school or, you know, the worst times was when I'd get hurt right before an exam. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like, how am I going to do this now? Um, yeah, wow. But I guess um, what's really been a blessing is that for me, I, I have seen God through it. So um, right when I got diagnosed, my dad, um, this was in Facebook's early days, really, but he set up a um, support group for people with the condition. And it's one of the few support groups for people and family members who are um, dealing with this condition across the world. 
but um, that support group currently stands at about 650 members. Wow. And um, it's been awesome because throughout that time, I've been able to reach out and talk to other people across, right across the world um, who have this bone condition, um, which has been really cool. Um, just connecting on that point, I was even able to meet um, a young girl with it. I think she was like a toddler, but she's quite old now. Um, I think I met her when I was 15. She was probably three or four. Um, with the condition as well. And that's been really awesome. And so even though, um, you know, I haven't been able to do something, it's really opened up a lot of doors and a lot of conversations that I've been able to have as well. Um, so that's been really, it's been quite amazing um, seeing, you know, who I've been able to talk to. Um, I was able to write an article about it, which I published in just where I've seen God, um, you know, maybe like a bit of a miracle that happened with um, them finding it in my leg when I was nine, but then it disappearing by the time I was about 16. Wow. Um, so there's been, there's been a lot of really awesome things that have happened. And even um, I've been out of the system, the medical system for a while. Basically, I aged out of the children's hospital system at age 18 and then, um, whoops, I didn't enter the adult one properly. And so that meant that I had to do a bit of work to get picked up properly again. Um, but I finally went to the specialist this year about um, four years too late. Um, but um, what was good was that I was able to get um, to get that medical care to, um, to talk um, to the specialist again. And, you know, just saying like, yeah, you're lucky and... Um, yeah, even though I've been worried and stressed, um, I think God's really been with me through through this journey as well, and I've definitely seen good things come out of it. So that's my testimony today, I guess. That's awesome, Kira. It, oh, praise the Lord. Mm. It reminds me of this awesome text in Romans eight twenty eight, where it says, "All things work to good." Sorry, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And I love that because mm. it doesn't say that all things in and of themselves are good. But it says that God is in the business of bringing good out of even difficult circumstances or challenges. And I love that you were able to use that opportunity where God was able to use you to be a blessing to others who would experience similar challenges. What a beautiful message. Well, thank you so much for sharing. It's so good to have you with us, Kira. All the best. May God bless you on your exams and your essays and all of those things coming up. And uh, thank you so much for your time. This is Mark Miller. My faith has found a resting place. soul I come to him he'll never cast me out 
sick, the lost he came to save. For me his precious blood he shed, for me his life he gave. to Faith FM, Positively Different Radio. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. And uh, we're going to do a shameless plug because the code word is coming up sometime during the Bible study. And that code word, when you hear it, you're going to be able to call or text in to 0491-064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669. And give us that code word to receive a free copy of this book by... Don Jacobson. Sorry, I had to I had to lean over there and squint real hard to see the name of this guy. And what's the book called for us, Tash? The book is called Call to Joy, but it's not just a call to joy. It goes over the Beatitudes and what it really means. What what was Jesus saying on the Sermon on the Mount and how we can live in a time of joy? I love it. Now, what are the Beatitudes? So blessed are the meek blessed meek. are the poor in spirit blessed so are those, those who, who mourn right yeah so that that introduction to the sermon on the mount in matthew chapter 6 and this goes through that it includes some sample prayers and questions to consider as you study through that so i highly recommend that you keep that phone close by so that you can call in when you get the um the code word in a little bit so awesome well we're going to jump into our Bible study, and we are going to go into John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. We're in chapter 4 and starting in verse 46. But before we start, we're going to have a word of prayer. Do you want to pray for us today, Tash? Yeah, let's pray. Father God, as we come to you now, we thank you for your word. Thank you for um, just this opportunity that we can go through it um, Help us to learn, um, help us to um, let your spirit lead us and guide us. And for those who are listening, just to lead and guide at home as well. So I pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So John chapter four, verse 46. Okay. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. 
So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Awesome. Okay, so what's going on here? Where, First of all, where is Jesus? He's back in Cana. So he is back where, uh, where the wedding was, where he turned the water into wine. So... Essentially, he's back where he performed his first first miracle, first sign. That's right. Yeah. And so he's gone back to this location. And if you'll remember from last week, we finished off by reading just a couple of verses before this where it says that he'd gone to this place and it said that he himself had testified, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Now, you've got to remember that Cana is you know, stone's throw, so to speak, from his hometown of Nazareth. It's not very far away. And... In this region, he again is demonstrating his, his mission, his call, his messiahship. Now, the first sign was the water to wine, right? Yeah. And that kind of demonstrates a number of things. We talked about when we when we read that. It highlighted Jesus' upholding of the marriage vow, mm-hmm. of his upholding of family, of his upholding of the Genesis model and account. But now we're seeing his second sign dealing with something very, very different, Right. Because all of those things that Jesus was upholding by giving this miracle at the wedding feast, it's all connected to the, the to, to humanity's experience before sin. Mm-hmm. But what's happening here? What's this sign dealing with? What is he healing or what is he doing? What's the sign? The sign is life. So he's speaking life into into the son of the, the soldier that came. I was going to say, you said... Not dealing with Genesis anymore, but I think it still does. Ah, yes. A little bit. <laughs> I think so. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because he's not dealing now with the situation of pre-fall Eden, as you might call it, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, a sinless world with a perfect God and perfect humanity and a perfect world, all in perfect harmony. Mm. Right? This is not hearkening back to that. It's actually hearkening back to the issue that takes place in Genesis chapter 3, which is that sin... Or, or, or I should say, death enters the world through sin. Sin being disobedience to God's laws, sin being acting in opposition to God, sin being rebelling against God. There's a lot of different ways you could describe it, but it's all the same thing. Acting in contrary ways to God's character and God's law. And so the the wages of sin is death, Romans tells us, and you've got this situation here where his second sign... Now remember, there are seven signs in the book of John that are explicitly called signs, and John is highlighting these things as specific stories, and they're, they're not all of the miracles that Jesus did by any means. In fact, it even says that he did other miracles already. Mm-hmm. It didn't ex- describe what they were all necessarily, but it mentions that they took place, but he highlights seven of these as signs. So what's this demonstrating, right? Jesus has power over sickness, yeah. right? And I think that this is really significant. I think it's just a powerful thing. Jesus has authority and power to redeem or to heal or to save those things which are broken and doomed to destruction. 
And that's a powerful, powerful truth. Mm. What else can we take out of this little passage? Like what's anything else that's jumping out at you, Tash? The belief of the of the soldier. Oh, okay. Well, tell us a little bit more about that. What's going on here with belief? Because I have something on that that stuck out to me as well. Because uh, another thing with the signs is that he did them so that people could believe. They would witness them and they, they would see that that's God working. And just and he, they'd, they haven't had any other interaction. And the fact that he believes Jesus on his word is, a, I think it's a very big, um, profound thing. He didn't know him. He didn't know where he came from. And even if he did, he'd heard some things. He still knew he might have come from Nazareth. But he takes Jesus at his word. And that's amazing. Yeah. It's totally amazing. Now, there's something else that's, that stuck out to me in this, too. So when you read this, right, he comes to Jesus, and it says that he comes to him and asked him to come down, right? Come down and heal my son, right? So this man had some level of belief, right? He believed that Jesus could do some sort of healing if he was present. And I just find it fascinating. What, notice Jesus' response. Like, sometimes we get confounded by Jesus' response to prayer or or how Jesus responds to situations. We think you should respond this way, God, or you should respond that way. But but God is not God is not the, a respecter of persons, so to speak, right? It's he's not he's not bent to our will. He's not like a slot machine that we can just or an ATM where we can punch in the amount and that's what we need to get out, right? But it says here that his response was, unless, like, like, imagine this, your son's about to die, you come to seek Jesus, you're like, please, Jesus, come to my house, my son is at the point of death, if you come, you could save him, right? And this is Jesus' response, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And he stops speaking. That's harsh, man. <laughs> that is not like, it is. Not, it's not like, it's cold. Oh, okay, <laughs> oh, I can understand and see that you're going through a difficult time. I love you. I love your son. Let me come and fix that for you. Isn't it strange that Jesus' response is getting to the heart of the matter? Yeah. The heart of the matter is, do you really believe? And the heart of the matter is, belief is what's most important. Because everything else stems from belief. And you could think about this in a broader context. Everything that you do, think, and say ultimately stems from from values and ideas that you believe deep down. And some of those things are subconscious. But what those things that you believe are and that I believe, they drive us. They drive our values and our values drive our decisions. Because those, those things are led out of that, right? What proceeds out of the heart of man is what matters because it reveals what's in there. Right, So what we believe is truly represented in these kinds of things. And so it's really interesting to me that he gets to that issue and he says, hey, if you don't see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And then the official says to him, hey, come down, please, sir, Lord, come down before my child dies. He demonstrates that he's desperate. And in the midst of his desperation, this is what Jesus says to him. He says, go, your son will live. He does not do exactly what the man asked. The man asked, come to my house and save my son. He says, go, your son will live, right? So there's a challenge of faith involved in in that, isn't there? Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? And what's going to happen? So as he goes through this circumstance, there's there's this, this involvement of faith that's being challenged. And the man, as you said, believes and takes Jesus at his word. But I love this as well. That when he, when he interacts with his servant or the person from his house and they talk about how your son became better, he asks a question, right? When? When did this happen? And he says at the seventh hour, or approximately 1 p.m. And at that point, it says that he knew. 
the Father knew, and remember that word comes up importantly all throughout the book of John, he knew that was the hour when Jesus had said, your son will live. And here it says, and he himself believed. Right? It says, it says already that he believed his word. Right? He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, but now it says he himself believed. Believed what? And it's at this point that we see a threshold coming across, that there's a level of belief that he had before, but now that belief is not just in the word of Jesus, but that belief is probably, by implication, in the Messiahship of Jesus, in the identity of Christ, in who Jesus is. I love this. Mm. It highlights that belief is a growing process. It's not something that just happens once, that just happens instantaneously, and you've crossed the threshold. Faith and belief is a process, and these processes of relationship must continue to grow. This is Crowder, All My Hope. Bye. 
Listening to Real Faith with Roby and Tash, and this is Faith FM. That was so good. You hummed. That was that was Tash right there at the end. The music cut, and she continued. Oh, it was so such beautiful. a good song. You have such a lovely voice, Tash. <laughs> so good. All right. Well, before we get back into our Bible study, um, we're gonna we're gonna just do another shameless plug because yes. the code word today. I'm not gonna tell you just yet, but I am gonna oh, tell yeah. you. Okay. So don't worry. Um, but the code word today, when you hear it, you can call or text in to 0491-064-669. That number again was? 0491-064-669. And when you call in with the code word or text in with that code word, you are going to receive a free copy. Now, how many copies do we have, Shell? Is this? Oh, oh, so oh. our first, first and the second and the fourth. Oh, yeah, that's a weird one, isn't it? So our first, second, and fourth caller today are going to receive a free copy of this book. And the book is called Call to Joy. And what's it about, Tash? It's about the Sermon on the Mount and just it unpacks Beatitudes. It's got some questions in there, but it's not just a call to joy, but it's how to live. Yeah. In, in a joyful way. I love it. Yeah. So if you'd like to know more about that, call in when you get that code word. And also just want to just encourage you that at any point during the show, we would love to hear your questions um, about God, the Bible, spirituality, you name it. We'd love to hear from you mm. and uh, be able to address that in our question of the week at the end of the show. So you can call or text in to 491 at any time as well with those questions or any you know comments or responses to what yeah. you've been hearing today. By the way, sometimes you may have questions about what we're studying. Please feel free to shoot those through, too, because um, why not? It's fresh yeah. on the mind. <laughs> All right, so we have this second sign, and then it continues. So we're now in John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. All right, let's pause mid-verse because that goes into the next paragraph and the next thought. So we're, we're going to pause mid-verse. We, we will read it. Okay, so what's happening here? So Jesus comes to Jerusalem. And why does he come to Jerusalem? He comes to Jerusalem because there's something happening. It's There's a pilgrimage. There's a festival. There's a feast happening in Jerusalem. And it's not just Jesus. It's a lot of the Jews are making their way to Jerusalem. And what's happening here is um, you can find the full explanation of the feast in Leviticus 23. It's from 22 all the way to 44. But in there, it, it tells us that um, right about now is the seventh month of the year. It's They've got three festivals that kind of happen together. And they are the, it's the Feast of Trumpets, um, which... Um, it signals, it's like the, the start of the new year. So, uh, the, the Jewish name for it is Rosh Hashanah. 
so that's they they have trumpets and they sound horns and they light fires and they welcome in the new year. So it's you know it's a joy, sell like a um, everyone is celebrating, and then after that is the atonement, and then after the atonement, which is the cleansing of the temple, also explained um, in detail in Leviticus um, 16, um, and then again in Leviticus 23, um, they have the, the Day of Atonement, and then after that is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. So this is a lot of like background history, but for the for what's happening right now this is a huge time of year you know this is the new year um the atonement means uh, the cleansing of sins the cleansing of the past year um uh, and at the feast of tabernacles is also um where they have um the the first fruits of the harvest mm-hmm. so they're coming you know they've just finished the summer they're coming into like the end of autumn and so um not only are they celebrating but um, at the Feast of Tabernacles, they're celebrating, because each of these feasts means something. Um, the Feast of Tabernacle also um, uh, is a celebration of their exodus from Egypt. Mm. So the time that they were wandering in the wilderness, um, a time when they couldn't live in actual homes, they had to live in tents. So they create these like little booths, mm. and they would sit in them and they would celebrate um, so yeah, this is quite a like a lot of things are happening, and there's um, a lot of people that would be there at this time. People. Because yeah. two of these, at least, are these festivals that are pilgrimage festivals. So you've yeah. got a lot of Jews who've gathered in Jerusalem as well. Yeah, and so, but the reason why I explain a lot of this is because John is very specific. Something always happens around about. There's always a feast, and some of the origins of those feasts happen. In something significant that Jesus is doing, mm. so we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I just wanted to, yeah, point that out for yeah. yeah that's awesome. Now, thank you for that background context. Now, in that context, he comes to this pool called Bethesda, and he finds all of these sick people there. And if I, if my memory is serving me right, this was a place where they believed a common, uh, well, and if I understand correctly, it was kind of like it was kind of like there was almost like a cultic. Um, belief around this that there were some people who held some to some of these pagan ideas of angel worship and other things that were taking place in that region and in that space they believed some believed that there would be an angel who would stir up or mix the waters and that when that happened the first person who got into the pool would be healed so here's this man who's been an invalid for 38 years And for 38 years, we don't know how many of those years he's been here, but it says that Jesus recognized he knew that he had been there, specifically at this pool, for a long time. And I love this. The conversation that happens between Jesus and the man, he says, do you want to be healed? And, I mean, it's obvious. If you're at this pool, you believe that being here gives you an opportunity to get into the water to be healed, right? He believed this, this man. And the, the, the man answers, and he's like, I've got nobody to help me. Nobody can put me into the water when it's stirred up. And while I'm trying to get there, somebody goes in ahead of me. But Jesus says something very different. He doesn't say, oh, I'll, I'll help get you into the water to be healed by this strange you know, angel thing that you think is going to happen. No, he just says with his own mouth, he says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked And at the word of Jesus, this man is healed. Mm. 
All right. Now there's more to the story. So let's keep reading from the rest of verse 9 all the way through to 17. Let's just... Robbie, I have one more thing to add. Oh, do it, do it. <laughs> we're not going to get through this chapter unless we're quick, though. No, okay, that's true. <laughs> well, I always wondered, why did Jesus ask, do you want to be healed? That was what something that always stuck up for me because like, it seemed very obvious. Like He went there every day. He wanted to get healed. He wanted to you know, be part of this miracle that happened or may or may not have happened. And it always just made me wonder, why did he have to ask that of him? Yeah. You have an answer for that? Well, <laughs> the you have to remember there's no there's no like sort of support or any sort of like uh, Centrelink or anything like that. There's like, no NDIS. There's nothing. no NDIS. People have to um, eke out a living. Yeah, eke out Somewhere. a living. And I don't know. Maybe I know he was like for 38 years, which is you know his whole life. He was lame, but maybe he was comfortable like. In the situation that he was in. I know this is really... Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. It's definitely possible. One thing that sticks out to me in, in, in terms of that context is here's a man who's been searching for something that is not... It's clearly not scriptural. It's clearly not, not God's way. It's clearly not God's path. And he's seeking to find salvation, so to speak, in something that cannot save him. And I love that in this context, Jesus comes to him, and, and the man does not realize salvation is in front of him. Here's the maker of the universe, the one who is the word of God, through whom all things that exist, exist. He's the maker of all. Here is God wrapped in human flesh, and he's asking you, do you want to be healed? And the man looks up into the eyes of his own maker, not realizing who he is, and he says, yeah, ah. He, he doesn't even say yes, he just says, look... Every time I go to get healed in this way, nothing happens, and uh, somebody else is getting in there. And he, and he starts pointing and playing the victim game, which we so often all fall into. But that's not what Jesus is about. He's not about the victim game. And he, and he says, do you want to be healed? He doesn't say, do you want this thing to work for you? Jesus knows this thing won't work for him. This man doesn't yet understand that if he wants to be healed, he's got to respond to the man who's speaking to him. Because there is no salvation, no healing, ultimately, in any other avenue or, or purpose or God or belief or whatever else. But salvation comes in Jesus alone. And so Jesus gives him an opportunity, and this man, unbeknownst to him, is speaking to his own maker, the only one who can truly save him. And I love this. He's, he's there having almost like a pity party, it sounds to me like. And it, it would be desperate. It would be broken, right? I've spent 38 years potentially here at this place. Years and years, and and there's no one to help me. And Jesus says, essentially, I'll help you. And he says, get up your bed and get up and walk. And I love this. And so he does. The man was healed, and he gets up on those spindly little legs that would have been totally useless just moments before. And he stands up, and he's able to pick up his bedroll, which is very interesting that he says that, and to start walking. And this man's life was forever transformed. This is Carolyn Cobb, Only the Sick Need a Physician. Who is this man who sits with the sinners, who dines with the drunkards and loves the unclean? 
listening to uh, Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. I don't know what you just did, Tash, but that was funny to see your face. You, what happened? You looked a little astonished. Oh, I... oh don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> We've got it all covered. You, you ever have one of those moments where you look over and your friends just gobsmacked? Their, their jaw is almost literally on the floor, and they just are in this state of deer-in-the-headlights kind of shock? That's what I just saw when I looked over there. I think I think Tash, you maybe have bumped your microphone or something, and uh, it was anyway. Anyway, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. That was uh, the that was Carolyn Cobb. Only the sick need a physician. Um, before we get back into our Bible study, the code word is lame, 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 what a lame code word. Yep, it is a lame code word. So 
If you would like to get your hands on a copy of that book, A Call to Joy, Exploring the Beatitudes of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the Poor, the poor, Blessed are the Meek, etc., and what that call to newness of joyful living looks like, call or text in that code word, LAME, to 0491-064-669. That number again is 491 0491- 064-669. And the first, the second, and the fourth caller are going to get that today. So make sure you get that text line going. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, remember that you can also send in your questions at any time throughout the mm. show for question of the week as well. All right. So the man gets up, and he, he gets up, and he, he picks up his bedroll, and he starts to walk, right? Now, just before we start reading, I think there's something I was trying to communicate before, but I, I kind of missed, was that it's very possible that it sounds like to me this man's hopes were in something that could not save him. Mm-hmm. Not it sounds like. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. His hopes were in something that could not save him. And so often we find ourselves in the same place. We put all our hopes in things that cannot fix our problems, right? We talked about this with the woman at the well. We, we cannot look to these things of the world to help or to fix the, 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 the problem, to save us, to heal us. No matter, not even if they're good things. This man was clearly following something that was a myth, that was not a real thing. However, sometimes we follow even good things to try and fill that, but only Jesus can truly bring healing and salvation. All right, so it says, continuing from halfway through verse 9, what we've not read yet. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man, said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Awesome. Okay. So the, so what's happening here is that you've got this, you've got this squall, the, uh, squabble, is the word I'm looking for, yeah. that starts to come out. So here's a man who's been healed by Jesus. Now, he was specifically instructed to do one thing that they were upset about. Now, what was that one thing? To take up his bedroll, take up his mat. Yeah. Okay, so here's this guy who's been lying in this around this pool for potentially years on a little bedroll, a little light mat, probably made of you know palm leaves or something of this of a similar sort or some sort of fabric. This very small, very light load that he'd been lying on for potentially years, right? And in this circumstance, he picks that up and he goes and he's praising the Lord and he's carrying his bedroll. By the way, it sounds like he didn't have anywhere else to live. That was where he was living. And so he's basically picked up his bed and moving on from that house to wherever in the world he's going to go next on walking on these healed, miraculously healed legs. And what's really interesting here is that the, the, the people who are, are speaking to him are more concerned about What's going on with him carrying the bread roll? Not bread roll. Bed roll, excuse me. <laughs> the bed roll is mat. We should call it mat, or I'm going to say that again. For him carrying his mat, yeah. then they are about the fact that this man who had been lame, unable to walk for 38 years, has been healed miraculously 
and is walking. Now, what's really interesting to note here is their very accusation against him is not clearly a breaking of the Sabbath condition in Scripture. Did you know that? You're looking at me funny. It's a yes or a no question. (laughs) Well, I have a passage. I've got to find it. It's in Deuteronomy. Oh, no, it's in Jeremiah. Sorry. No, it's Jeremiah 17. I know the one you're talking about. So what's really interesting here is that I'm going to disagree with you. You might, you, we might disagree. That's fine. What's really interesting to note here is that all throughout the Old Testament, Sabbath is upheld, right? We see it upheld by Jesus. We see it upheld by Paul. We see it upheld in the early church. We see it prophesied to be upheld even in eternity, all these things. But what's really fascinating is that if you look at the actual Sabbath commandment and the Ten Commandments, it's, it's kind of vague, right? It's clear, but it's not clear. And, the, and what I mean by that is this, and some people might be upset with me saying this, but that's okay. Hear me out. It's clear in that it says don't work and don't cause others to work. But it doesn't necessarily specify all of the things that are counted as work. Now, when you go through the rest of Torah, there are a couple of other things that happen that give us some insight. Don't collect manna on the Sabbath. Don't start a fire, right? A man's carrying sticks and starting a fire. And then you have a couple of places elsewhere in Nehemiah chapter 13, I think it is. I might have the chapter wrong there. But it talks about those who were carrying burdens through the city gates because they were merchants and they were selling things and they were breaking the Sabbath by selling things and buying things, which again, of course, if you go back to the original Sabbath commandment in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 28 through 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12 to 15, I think it is, it specifies don't do things that cause you to work or cause others to work and buying and selling is clearly working. And so what's really interesting is in the, the closest connection is in that Jeremiah 17, sorry, 19, 17? Jeremiah 17, verse 19 through 27. It talks about carrying a burden in through the gates or out of your houses, but the context there, again, is indicating this buying and selling, this, 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 this making it a business practice. So what's really fascinating to me here is that there are 39, right? There's one Sabbath commandment, by the way, in the Ten Commandments, one. And it's very clear, it's very specific in, in terms of saying that don't work, don't cause others to work. But it also doesn't go around and specify every little single action that might be considered by some to be work and by others not to be work, etc. It's actually, it's fairly clear, don't do things that cause you to work or cause others to work. So buying and selling obviously is a part of that, etc., etc. But what's fascinating is that there was actually debate at the time about what specific things could you carry. Are you allowed to carry anything? And so there were 39, did you catch me? One Sabbath commandment given by God. 39 rabbinical laws Wow! in the Mishnah. So the Mishnah is rabbinical writings, and it's called the Mishnah Shabbat, or Sabbath. There are 39 laws that the rabbis had written in there over the years and accumulated that must be kept in order to not break Sabbath, quote-unquote, according to the traditions of the teachers of the law. Not according to Scripture, but according to the Mishnah. Now, what's fascinating to note about this is some of the things that are included there are, and we've probably talked about this on the show probably a year ago, but what's really fascinating is that one of the things that's debated about is what you can carry. There were things prohibited like you can't carry rocks or pebbles. There are things about you can you can carry something, but if you cross the threshold, then all of a sudden what you've carried becomes a sin. Right there were there were very specific hedges around hedges around hedges to protect you from breaking the actual law of the Sabbath. But what this did was they added so many of these rules and restrictions on top of what 
Scripture says, and they try to expound and explain and become very, very specific about all of these things, and they added things that were not in Scripture, right? They added things that were not specified by God, and they clarified all sorts of things and tried to reason with it from Scripture to 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 make all of these man-made traditions, which Jesus later condemns their man-made traditions over the Word of God. So what's going on here is that they've made it very difficult for anyone to actually do what God had said in the first place, and they don't have access like a Bible in their on their coffee table at their house to be able to read it for themselves. They've got to go and learn Torah, and they've got interpreters of the law, right? And so it makes it a little bit more difficult. You would know things, but you wouldn't know all of those things as easily, as readily as we who can read might have access to them. And so what's really interesting here is it was a common debate of the day about whether or not you could carry your mat on the Sabbath or not. And what's fascinating to me is that Jesus comes in and he goes against the codes of the rabbis, not against the code of Scripture. And what he does that they perceive to be breaking the Sabbath is actually the saving and the healing and restoring of a man's life, demonstrating that it is good to do good on the Sabbath. This is the Clark family in God's perfect time. Sarah laughed in her heart at God's promise. Isaac proved nothing is impossible. Martha wept by the tomb of Lazarus. Oh, but death lost when life spoke a miracle. In God's perfect time, He's never been late. His plan for your life is worth the wait. In God's perfect time, you can always trust when the moment is right. The answer will come in God's perfect time. Sometimes between your prayers and God's answers, faith can be so hard to hold on to. No. 
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM. We're glad you're here. And in case you missed that code word and, uh, you know, you were somewhere detained, as Elijah would have said, maybe you were taking a nap, um, oh. as he said on Carmel about bail. But um, <laughs> maybe you were taking a nap, <laughs> taking which a nap. is a euphemism in Hebrew for going to the bathroom. And <laughs> in other words, maybe you missed it. So the code word was... Lame. Lame. Hmm. As in there was a man in the story who was lame that Jesus healed. So if you missed that, call or text that word lame, L-A-M-E, in case you don't know how to spell it, into 0491-064-669 because we still have two more books available. And that book is called Call to Joy by Don Jacobson. And it goes through how to live the joyful life that God is calling calling you into by studying and understanding the Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, where he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for you will be filled. And if you'd like to know more about that, call or text in with that code word again to 0491-064-669. And also, I don't think we have any questions of the, for a question of the week yet, so please, please send us a question. We're desperate. We love questions. We'd Otherwise, love we just have to you know, talk more to ourselves. And uh, we'd rather get to hear from you. So call or text in your questions at 0491-064-669. We'd love to hear from you. Okay. So, by the way, if you've never read the Mishnah Shabbat, you should check it out. It's not the easiest of reading, but um, you can get it for free online. And you can read all 39 laws. And you can see how some of them are contradictory. Some of them are very far-fetched. And there are some significant things going on in that space where you go, the Bible does not say that. The Bible does not make that specification. And what God gave as a Sabbath command, which is also, you know, all of God's commandments or, you know, his, his what's the word I'm looking for? There's blessing in all of God's ways. That's the point. God's commandments will give you life and abundance and rest and joy as opposed to all of these other things that were added on that made it such a laborious thing, right? Like it says you can, and, and there were things in there, by the way, like if, so vinegar was a common solution for a toothache right Mm. and so they said you can't take it says in here literally i've read this (laughs) you don't put you can't apply vinegar to make your tooth not sore anymore on the sabbath you can do it any other day of the week but you can't give that medication however if you are eating vinegar and it happens to make your toothache go away that's okay right this is literally how specific these things are so when it talks about the 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 teachers of the law making difficult loads for people to bear. Nowhere in Scripture is that specified. Nowhere from Genesis to Revelation does it talk about that. But that kind of stuff was involved and included in the Mishnah Shabbat, those 39 extra laws that the rabbis had applied onto the people. And so when they make this claim, this is what they're talking about. And Jesus speaks directly against it. Isn't that powerful? All right, let's continue reading. We are in John chapter 5, verse 18. So this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will be, 
will he show him so that you may marvel? For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given judgment, given all judgment, sorry, to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Awesome. Quite a mouthful, isn't it? So, <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> yes, there is a lot in there. But now, it's good. It's good. It is very good. Okay, so there's a couple of things that are worth noting here. Um, there's lots of things worth noting, really. But um, it's interesting here. Notice the connection that they make. Jesus had said, my father is working until now, and I am working, right? And what's he saying? He says that, look, the father doesn't stop caring for the world. It's not like the rains never come on Sabbath because God's on, on break time on the Sabbath, right? There's a sense in which God rested from his creative labor in the, in the, on the Sabbath in the, working week, uh, the, the, the week of creation. However, there's a sense in which God is, is never at rest because if God ceased to be who he was, then all things that exist would cease to exist. It is by God's keeping things going right now that you and I actually have breath in our lungs. If he ceased to sustain life, it would cease in that very instant. And so he's making a connection. Look, God is God is not asleep and unavailable on the Sabbath day, right? And so he's demonstrating, yeah, God is able to heal and to transform even on the Sabbath day, even on any uh, on a holy day, right? Even during Passover or something else, God is able to bring life, and it's powerful. And they, they make this connection. They're like, hang on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. You called God your father, and you, you then are therefore making yourself equal with God. And notice the connection here that John sees that the Jews are making. There's a connection in the closeness of Jesus' relationship He's talking about being connected to the Father in a way that no one else is. And by the way, we in our modern context are used to calling God Father perhaps, but in the Jewish context, that was not normal. That was not a a typical thing that you would say. You called God Adonai, Lord. You called him the Almighty, the, the God of the angel hosts, right? All of these are names for God in the Old Testament. However, they're, they're, they're transcendent. They're not like intimate and personal to the level of which Jesus is saying, no, 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 like Father, like the one who is close to me. And it's powerful what he's saying there. No, I just wanted to, to add to just tag on that comment about father. Because he's, he's saying it like, this is my father. Not the way we use it now, but the way I would say um, my physical, the, 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 the father who gave birth to me. That's how Jesus is using this word. Mm. Yeah. And so that that's, yeah, definitely a closeness and... And right, because Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, and that when he becomes a human being, it's by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? It's by the Holy Spirit. And we have to remember as well, not only do they they think of God as transcendent, but they don't they actually don't use his name a lot. So they don't say Yahweh. They don't say Elohim. They're only it's only reserved for times of you know And nobody would speak the and word no one Yahweh. Would speak in the fact, word they, as well. The, yeah. This is the reason that in the Old Testament you don't see Yahweh written in, written out. What we see is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in most translations. Some translations would say Jehovah or other things like that. But the point is, in the original text, they inserted a different word because they they said that the, the name of God is too holy to even speak. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? 
All right, so going on, he says some other incredible things. He says here, I'm telling you that the son does nothing of his own accord. And what's he saying here? Essentially, everything that I do and everything that I say is a demonstration to you of the father. I am doing nothing apart from what the Father wills. I don't do my own will. I don't say my own words. So in what, in other words, what he's saying is everything that Jesus is saying and doing is exactly what God the Father would do in his stead. And what he's doing there is he's asserting his connection to the Father. This is huge. And then he goes on to say, just, he says, look, look, the Father judges no one, Right? But but hang on, isn't God the judge of all? Yes, but he has passed judgment on specifically to the Son, right? So who is going to judge the world at the end of time? Jesus. Jesus. That's powerful, man. So so when you think about, I mean, on the one hand, that's the greatest news in the world because your defense attorney is your is your uh, is your judge, yeah. right? But it makes it all the all the more harrowing to say, oh, if I don't want Jesus, if I want to reject Jesus, well, I've rejected my defense attorney and the judge, right? <laughs> And so it's, it's a pretty powerful passage here. And then he goes on, and he says something incredibly powerful. He says, if you honor me, you're honoring the Father. And also, if you do not honor me, you are not honoring the Father. Now, that's inclusive and exclusive at the same time, because what he's identifying is if you truly want to follow the God of Israel, you have to follow Jesus, because Jesus is the continuation of, of all of those things that Scripture in the Old Testament and the Jewish writings was about. And he's going to go on to talk more about that later as we get into this chapter. But Jesus is the point of all of these things. This is Matt and Josie Minicus, Temple of Time. took six days and created earth and moon and stars and sun on the forsaken and 
desecrated and profane But the sacred fourth commandment Is still valid and unchanged Hear the Father gently calling If you love me, keep each one Not for merit or salvation But because you love my Son Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Hey everyone, we're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson, and you can join us every morning on the Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, awe-inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Bracky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. And I was going to ask Shell what time it is because I love hearing that song, but... We didn't get any questions this week, so unfortunately, we're not going to play the song because there's no questions. So we didn't. Oh, if that's not a guilt trip, I don't know what is. So please <laughs> send in your questions for next time because we love hearing from you guys. And by the way, if you ever have questions pop up and you're like, "Hey, I'd love to know a little bit more about that," or "I'd like to know what 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 maybe Robbie and Tash might know about that," or or you know, you want to give us a task, a hard task to go do some homework. Um, you can also send those questions in anytime during the week. You can send them into that same text line. Just let them know that it's for real faith, and um, we can have a look at that the following yeah, the following radio show. So because we don't have any questions, we're going to actually just continue reading, and we might perhaps get a little bit further through the chapter then. Ooh. All right, so we are back in John chapter 5, and I think we're up to verse 25. So truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Awesome. Oh, man, this is a very theologically dense little passage. and um, It really is. Yeah. <laughs> You're making a funny face at me, Tash. <laughs> it's, it's awesome, though. It shows a number of powerful things, a number of important truths. And what's really interesting, too, is it's very interesting that John writes about this and then the revelation is given to John as well, which is the only other passage that I know of in Scripture that talks about this event 
that he's foreshadowing in this particular detail, mm. interestingly enough. So well, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. So first of all, I want to highlight something that's really cool in this that I only just had pointed out to me recently that just rocked my world. Notice this. He had said before that, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, you could look at this in the one sense of saying, you know, condemnation to death, and that would be true, right? The condemnation to death in terms of the eternal death, right? That is the ultimate wages of sin, destruction, right? However, there's another sense in which we must take it from this passage. Check this out. Is it just condemnation to future death that he is talking about? No, no, no. He says, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, here's a question. The dead, right? Yeah. There's, the hour is also now. Well, Jesus didn't resurrect anybody that I know of physically to go up into heaven after, right? Like to be resurrected in a new glorious body like is promised at the second coming of Jesus when Jesus returns to take all of the saved with him, right? It, he's, that's not happened to anybody in Jesus' ministry. As far as I know, he resurrected Lazarus, but Lazarus then goes on and dies. He resurrected the, the, the little girl in um, Mark 5, and, but she had eventually died, right? So there's these stories, but this is not talking about the resurrection to life, like to eternal life. What's interesting to note here is he is actually saying that there are people who are walking around who are dead, right? He's not talking about zombies or some silliness like that. What he's talking about is the spiritual state of you and I is naturally by default dead. You and I are dead, right? Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2, who were dead in our trespasses or in our sins. You and I are dead until we are resurrected into life by Jesus, Right? So there's a sense in which he's talking future tense, but there's also a sense when he says, and is now here, that everyone who has not opened their heart to God, who has not surrendered to Jesus, everyone who has not responded to God's grace, we're, we're still dead. Isn't that powerful? And so what's really interesting here is later on when he talks about being the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, I am the God of the living and not of the dead. Well, we know those men are sitting in their graves, Right? David, King David in Acts chapter 2, it says his grave is still here. He did not ascend to heaven, right? But we know David is saved according to God's own words, where he says that David was a man after my own heart. After David was dead, he calls him, God calls him righteous. So what's he saying here? He's saying here that there are people who are dead in their graves, but who are alive in Christ in the sense that they're asleep, right? The Bible talks about death as asleep. Why? Because they have been saved to new life, and they're resting in the grave until Jesus comes to give them resurrected life permanently with a new body but there are people who are dead in their graves who are dead dead like they're going to be resurrected to judgment and that's it destruction but then there's you and me who are alive right now and we can either be dead spiritually or alive spiritually so you might be walking around and breathing and fully fit and active and able to do a million push-ups that doesn't mean you have eternal life and if you don't have eternal life you don't have life at all in a in a real like metaphorical sense. Is that making sense? Yeah. That I hope that wasn't too out there and abstract to make sense, but I think it's really profound and powerful. If you do not have the sun, you do not now have life. You have, you have breath and air, but you don't have real life, life that will last forever. You are dead, according to Paul's writings in Ephesians 2, dead in trespasses and sins, unless you have surrendered your heart to Jesus. Isn't that powerful?
It's powerful. It's pretty cool. It is really beautiful because something that you do today within Jesus, so the decision you make in Jesus, the belief that you have in Jesus, to have life in Jesus today continues to have an effect for the rest of your life, even after you are dead. That's right. That is amazing. If you choose Jesus yeah. today, you surrender your heart to him, then what you have is, yeah, death is no longer death, so to speak. Death is asleep, right? Yeah. That's powerful. And just, and just in the context of what's going on here as well, because they're talking about judgment, there, then there is no fear in judgment either. Yeah. Well. Wow. Put your hope and your trust in Jesus. Yeah. Boom. This is really good. Thanks. This is great stuff. <laughs> All right. Now, not only that, but he is also talking about the future judgment, the future resurrection. And he says something else that a lot of people don't know, but it's plain as day here, and it's confirmed in the New Testament writings after this. He says here, do not marvel at this. <laughs> what are you marveling at? Why are you so surprised? He says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Check this out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment or condemnation. And what's really fascinating is that if you check out Revelation chapter 20, and also you check out Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 17. There's a contrast. When Jesus returns, those who, are, who, who have surrendered to God are saved and they are given eternal life. But it says that everyone else dies. And then in Revelation 20, it talks about how after this thousand-year period, Jesus resurrects the wicked and resurrects them to condemnation, to destruction, to face the judgment that has been set out for them powerful stuff. This is Root Salonen. I will arise and go to Jesus.
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and it has come to the end of our show where we do our application. So what can we draw from this chapter? Now, by the way, we only got up to John chapter 5, verse 29. So next time, we're going to be continuing and finishing the rest of this chapter and starting on through chapter 6. And I have a pretty solid guarantee that I don't think we'll finish chapter 6 next week because it's a pretty long chapter. There's like, There's like 71 than, verses yeah, 60, in that one. Yeah, so don't worry about that. That's but we're going to be continuing. And I want to encourage you, by the way, feel free to like read ahead. I'm, I'm a big encourager of reading ahead because you don't need me to mm. interpret God's word for you. You don't need Tash to interpret God's word for you. We can all seek for the Holy Spirit and let God teach us through his word. Mm. And um, yeah, so yeah, we'd encourage you to do that. What can we take from this? What can we learn from this passage of scripture? One thing that I, that, I, that I find really helpful, and we talked about it before, is just to, to be encouraged and to be comforted by the fact that belief comes in stages, right? Like you could look at this guy's journey and be like, oh, oh man, the guy who's, whose son was healed on the point of death. And you'd be like, oh man, I just wish that I could be there with that faith right now. But you got to realize that faith grows through circumstance, and how we choose to respond to circumstances. And what's really interesting here is that that man's faith would not have been the same in Jesus if he had not gone through the process of first trusting his word and then seeing that his word came true, and then he believes in Jesus more fully, right? And there's a real sense in which our own faith can only grow through actual experience, through actual difficulties and trials and overcoming of things. Like, faith grows not just overnight and instantaneous, but it's a process. And I think we should be challenged by that, but more importantly, we should be encouraged by that. If you're out there and you're thinking, man, I just, I just have not arrived at that place where I have the faith that I wish I had, well, come to Jesus and ask him to help you with that. And try and not hate the process in the meantime, because James says, consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, right? Awesome. What else can we take from this chapter? What do you got for us, Tash? I really love what you said. And um, I just, oh, the bread roll. No, his, <laughs> his mat, taking up his mat. And he was looking, he was looking for healing in all the wrong places. And I, and I think, um, yeah, like keep your, Jesus is the only, he's the true healer. He really is the true healer. Who, he, and anything in this world will not fill that need. Um, yeah, that it's just a good reminder as well. And you know, sometimes we will we will be asked in our faith, well, like, hey, do you do you want to move from where you are? Do you want to get out of that comfortable position you're in? Do you want to stop seeking in the way that you're seeking? Um, and I think it's good it's good to wrestle with yeah wrestle with God in that. Mm. Um, totally. I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> um, I don't think we I don't think we have it worked out and it's just is building from what you were saying as well about our belief and our faith it definitely grows mm. and it grows too with um our own making mistakes I guess That's and, right and yeah and being, learning learning involves in a broken world at least if not in a perfect world who knows yeah. it involves not hitting the mark straight away all the time Yeah definitely It's a part of the Yeah it's part of it's just part of learning and part of life um, but the other thing that I think is really cool is the Sabbath. Oh, hold on. Don't go. Don't, let me, let me oh, say no. something oh. just first because I, I want to talk about that mat really? thing. Something came to me earlier and it was just thinking about the mat. Yeah. And it was, it's really significant. Jesus didn't heal him so that he could go back 
and stay at the place where the 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 belief of that angel was, right? Yeah. Like, let me go back to this this cultic thing. No, no, no. He says, take up your mat and walk because you're not coming back here, mm. right? Because that's where he lived. And so you don't have to live here anymore. You now need to go find a new home, a different place to rest with your hopes and your faith. You don't need to come back here because you don't need this crutch anymore. Mm. And I think that's really powerful. Jesus is the, you know, for lack of a better word, the crutch, right? <laughs> you don't need the crutch anymore because Jesus is healed. Just so, so walk with him, hold his hand because yeah. you're not coming back here anymore. I, I love mean, that. I mean, that's just, that's repentance. Like doing a 180 on your life. That means leave. You got to, yeah, leave that behind. I love it. And move on. I love it. So the Sabbath. Oh, the another Sabbath. Another thing we can take away. Uh, just when you were sharing about the Mishnah and the 39 things and the ways to, oh, wow, they just overcomplicated it. And if you just go back to the Ten Commandments, even just go back to Genesis, Sabbath was about um, resting from the, the labor that was the week, God creating the earth, and then being in communion and, and having an actual rest with, mm. with, with his with created beings, with, with, and be in relationship. And I don't know, sometimes even as I'm not even a pastor yet or in full time ministry, but sometimes you just get so crazy busy. Um, Leading up to Sabbath, and you don't get that rest. In it can be found. It can. That's right. That's right. And I think something else that really sticks out to me in that is there are times, unfortunately, and I think we're all probably guilty of this more than we'd like to admit, where where we might add extra rules and restrictions on other people that that God didn't put there, that might be good rules for us, but aren't necessarily what God said. And you see this go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What, is, what does the serpent say? Did God really say you may not eat of all of the trees of the garden? And then what does Eve say? No, 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 no. No, no, no. He said, don't eat of, you can eat of all these, but not that one. Don't even touch it. Now, hang on a second. God never anywhere in all of the Bible says, don't touch that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't eat of it. Now, it might be good wisdom to not touch it, but don't confuse good wisdom with God's words. And I think that's an incredibly important thing because sometimes we we may have things that we think are really helpful for us and have helped us on our journey, but there are not God's requirements, that are not God's words. And we may impose upon others things that we have been convicted of, but that are not necessarily explicit in Scripture. And we may enforce extra things on other people that can become a barrier for them to actually doing the thing that God did say. And that's what was happening here. You've got people being turned away from the beauty of God's Sabbath, from the beauty of God's laws, from the beauty of Torah. Why? Because they made it, they, they added their own traditions that may have been for them good, helpful things in the beginning, but they became a burden to the people that actually made it harder for them to do the very things God did actually require. And I think that that's a really significant point. May we never be that way, but may we be clear about what God does say, what God doesn't say, and allow people the grace to have a relationship with Jesus for those things that God doesn't say, to work those out and let us work together to find biblical principles and godly guidance, and and just to understand that God did give restrictions, clearly, but he also gave an immense amount of liberties. And I think that when we when we think about God's laws that way and we understand that a little bit more clearly— it actually helps us to find the principles that are underneath some of those things that, that actually helps us to do what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount and clarify and identify the broader context of what God has done. And that's a beautiful thing and can bring more life. So, my friends, 
May God bless you and keep you as you go throughout this week. Stay tuned for Drive Time. And remember that real faith is is live live faith. faith.